listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me on the show. You've got a special guest with us today. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Chris Jones, and we're talking about what it takes to be a new manager. Now, even if you're not a new manager, you will learn some ideas that will make it a lot easy to manage your team. Now, all of us, we're rainmakers. We're busy. We're doing deals. We're getting in front of clients. But you know what? I'd say most of us have some sort of team of people that we depend on to support our work as rainmakers. I promise you, this show is definitely going to be worth the time that it takes for you to listen. You will finish this show with tangible action steps that will help you be more effective at leading your team. Make sure you connect with Chris Jones on our show notes. Go there. You can find his link to his information. He's also doing a workshop in December. You'll be able to look for that information as well on the show notes also. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now here's my conversation with our guest and my friend, Chris Jones. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Our special guest today is a close friend of mine, Chris Jones, and we're talking about secrets for new managers. Chris, thanks for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you, Scott. I'm so elated, really, to be on your podcast. I've been an avid listener for a number of years. We've known each other for a few years as well, That's right. That's and right. just super excited about uh, finally getting the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you. And I'm a fan of your content, everything you put out. I would say it's sagacious. There's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of direct application for anybody that's managing a team. And I like the fact that your niche, your lane is in the area of new managers. And there's a lot of people, they get into sales, they get into rainmaking, they have to manage other people. They've never done it before. So I really like the fact that you have expertise in that area. So let me start with this question. From the work that you've done, what are some trends that you've seen are common among people that are new in a management role that they really got to understand? What are some of the big rocks in the bucket, so to speak, that new managers have to deal with when they're put into that position of authority for the first time? Well, you know, it's, it is a great question. And these are all things that I learned as a first-time manager and a new manager as well. And I didn't know these things until, of course, in the rearview mirror, <laughs> which right. lots of times we, it's very clear when you That's look in the rearview mirror. <laughs> exactly. You know, one of the biggest things I think that managers, new managers are dealing with is the belief that what got them where they are right now in the new manager role is what they need in that new role. <laughs> and quite honestly, the skills and the tools that they use to get them there are not the same tools that they need in that new manager role. So that is a real eye-opening thing. And the biggest key, I think, for new managers is just simply knowing and then implementing some of the management and leadership tools, systems, and frameworks and uh, that you need to successfully lead your team. It's one thing to know them, but it's another thing to actually implement those things. Okay, good. And, and I liked what you said, and I can see it directly within my niche where I recruit. I recruit lawyers with big law firms, and a lot of them have worked their way up from associate to partner, and they had really good legal skills or some other skill that really helped them to earn the trust of their clients to do good legal work. And now they're managing a team of two associates and they've never done that before. And it's a totally different skill. So I like the fact that you have that demarcation line that we have to cross, which is this is something new. 
and the past core competencies that helped you be successful as a practitioner in whatever you do aren't going to help you in your new role, which is being a leader or manager. Right. So let me ask you this. You talk about knowing and implementing tools, systems, frameworks. Give me some examples of some of those. What do you think are some of the tools, systems, and frameworks that people need to pay attention to? You know, one of the big things I think is for new managers to really have a framework for how they delegate work or delegate assignments. Many managers and leaders who I work with, and I don't care what level, I mean, I've worked with all levels from new managers, even up through owners of companies and C-suite of large companies, but delegation continues to be a real struggle. And the problem is, is that most don't make time to think about and plan their delegation strategy. And if you just implement a very simple framework uh, for how to do that, you know, it ends up becoming a lot easier than what people think. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why we don't delegate. You know, we've heard them all. And I'm sure you probably told this to yourself before. I know I, I definitely have, you know, things like I can do it better myself. Or, no, so let's put these on paper here. So uh, yes. reasons why we don't delegate. And you said, number one, yeah. I can do it myself. <laughs> I can do it better myself. I mean, isn't that true? I've done this job for so long. Now I'm the manager and I have someone else doing what I used to do. I can do it much better. Or... Honestly, maybe they don't want to admit it, but they don't want the confrontation that sometimes can hold come with holding people accountable. Or they've definitely said things like, you know, it just takes me too long to explain how to do it. And I could just do it myself much, much quicker. You know, other things like I'm not confident that the people are going to do the work as good as I could do it. Or here's the big one. Everyone else has so much to do on my team. It's a sense of responsibility for managers. Like they have so much to do on their team. I don't want to put any more on their plate because they've got enough to do right now. So those are just some of the common ones. There's probably hundreds more. Yeah. And so let me ask you this. You talk about implementing a delegation strategy. What does that mean? And what are some examples of that? Yeah. Well, part of the strategy is understanding, I think, two things. Uh, The first is understanding that there are phases of delegation, kind of really of evolution that everyone on your team goes through as you're giving assignments to them. And then secondly, there are steps of uh, for delegation. And if you just consistently follow these steps, you will be way more successful, number one, at delegating work, but having that work done on time and with reduced confrontation. Okay, good. So, so give me an example then. A, a client or a company that you worked with, you had to work with a manager on establishing some protocols or a framework to accomplishing a certain task. How did you advise that person and what did they actually do? Kind of give us a visual on that. You know, as you asked me that question, the first example I think of is this business owner who I was working with. And the business owner were done with the operations part of the business. So they hired a chief operations officer to to run the operations of the organization. And it was a few months later, he calls me up and says, you got to help me fire this guy. Like, whoa, 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 wait a second. (laughs) You're going to fire this guy. Why? Let's make sure that you've done all you can because it's your responsibility really to set him up for success. So I said, well, what's the real problem? And he's like, well, the guy, he comes in, he runs the daily standup and he cannot run that meeting to save his life. We are not getting the results we're supposed to get. And, you know, he couldn't run that meeting if he had to. So I said, well, number one, tell me about how did you set him up for success? How did you delegate this work? Cause that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're having him run the meeting now when you used to. And he's like, well, I just told him to run it. He should know how to do it. I'm like, well, no, no, just a second. 
he needs to be clear about what are your expectations? What are the results that you need to have produced? He's like, I pay this guy enough money. I don't need to, to do all of that. So I said, well, no, first you need to make sure that you demonstrate. And I call this phase one delegation where you're giving direct instruction. Okay, I think good, most good. of us get very clear about what that direct instruction is. You got to tell him exactly what to do, maybe even show him exactly how to run that meeting, for example, right? And then after you've done that a few times and you're confident he's got it, you then move to phase two. Phase two delegation is where you're observing that person and you're giving them feedback. Hey, you're, I'm going to observe you running the morning meeting. I'm going to give you some feedback, what's working well, what's not working well. After a while, you graduate to phase three, which I call act and report, where now the person's actually running the meeting, they're conducting the meeting, and they're just reporting the progress and the results that are being produced. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you get the, to the epitome, which is phase four, which is a full handoff. It's now a full part of their job. You don't need to know when they do it, how they do it, where they do it. <laughs> you just need to know, you just know that it's getting done. It's getting done consistently. Okay, good. But you good. do have to go through those phases. And this guy assumed that he, he'd really just do it at phase three. Hey, I'm just throw it over the wall. You just let me know when you're done. And he never set him up for success starting at the beginning. This is something I've never heard before, Chris. Nobody talks about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this just breaks it all down. And I'm right now, I'm actually thinking about one of my colleagues and a task we had for a new person, you know, and had, did we follow these four different phases? I think it was basically, you're right, just phase three, just act and report. Go do the meeting and, and tell me about that, where you've got to build up to that. It's almost like these are building blocks where you have to build up to phase four, which is a full handoff. That's what everybody wants, though. I'm busy. Just take care of it. Tell me later. I like the fact that you give specific ways people can do this. Tell me more about this. What else would you advise people as they're really starting to come up with the delegation protocol? Yeah. Well, you know, a key thing is, number one, is that there is not a set time frame that anyone goes through the phases. I think everyone goes through the phases. Some people may be a C-suite with degrees and they're super smart. They'll probably go pretty fast through those phases, right? But if you're a new employee who this is your very first job, you don't have any idea how to do the work that you're doing, guess what? You're going to go slow, more slowly through these phases. And that's okay. As long as you're making incremental progress, right? As long as they're going forward and not backward. If you're you're at phase two and like, oh gosh, we got to go back to the drawing board. We're back to phase one. Okay. That's a red flag. You know, you shouldn't be going backward, but you should be going forward. And I don't care what level you are. I mean, if you are the C-suite, you still have to start with phase one. Let's get really clear exactly what needs to be produced um, and what the result looks like at the end. And I'm going to show you exactly what that is to set you up for success. Maybe it goes quickly through it. Hopefully it does. Let's say that you're working with someone and you go through these four phases, but they're just not getting it. They're not giving you the results that you want. The expectations are not being met. This is when it gets kind of awkward. How would you advise someone where they've got to have that conversation? And, you know, my problem, hey, I want everybody to like me. If I talk to my person about them not doing their work, they might not like me. Gee, I don't want that. It's awkward. So I'm just going to kind of keep my head down and hope that things get better. I mean, I'm not saying how I am. I'm just Giving that as an example, or maybe I, I really am that way. I'm not going to go there. But so so what do I do, Chris? What do I do? How do I have yeah. this tough conversation? Well, the, I love how you asked that question because it's really important that you acknowledge that people don't want to have that conversation. I mean, people typically don't like conflict. I know right. there is a small fraction of people who love conflict. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> here, here it is. It's really getting very clear about expectations. And 
I many times will use what I call the fall on the sword method uh, whenever I'm assigning work. And I'll say, hey, I'm working on my communication skills. And if you wouldn't mind, could you repeat back what it is I'm asking you to do so I can make sure that I have clearly communicated to you what result I intend to be produced? And then is there a chance to repeat back to you what they heard? And if there's something wrong, well, great. Now you get to correct it, right? But as long as they have it right, then you've done that primary step in the very beginning of being really clear about expectations. Now, if the result is not produced, it's very critical that you get to, let's get to the root cause of what caused this. What, okay. what is it that really caused the person to, to make this decision? Was there a policy in place that actually caused them to go this way? Mm-hmm. Was I maybe not as clear as I could have been? I mean, look at yourself first. But ultimately, if you're constantly doing that and you've done all you can to set them up for success, I actually have these six factors we, we I don't have time to talk about here today. But if you've done all those things, then perhaps you need to start walking down. Well, maybe this isn't the right role for you, right? Maybe it's not an interest. Maybe it's not a skill set that you're naturally accustomed to. So you can kind of move that way. Okay, good. And what advice would you give for people where they have someone that they think can do the job? If they could go back in time, they would absolutely hire that person all over again, but they're just not getting it done for this particular task. What would you recommend? How would you recommend they would coach their person to succeed? Well, I think the biggest uh, thing that the leaders and managers can do is um, be curious, right? As you're having conversations and you're talking with your your team, especially those, those team members who are struggling, you got to be curious to uncover what is it are those obstacles that are preventing them from being more successful. And all of that starts with establishing trust. And it's a trusting relationship with every single person on your team. One of the most critical ways I think to do that is to set up regular and recurring one-on-one meetings with each person on your team. Now, I know a lot of managers and leaders will uh, push back on that and say, you know what, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to prepare for those. They take so much time. But it's really the only way that you will really truly identify what are those obstacles that are getting in the way is a way of building trust with your team. And ultimately, it really increases engagement and a high performance uh, for your team as well. Okay, that's great. And so let's just say somebody has a team of six people and they have their Monday morning huddle meeting or whatever you want to call it. How often should they meet to talk about their performance in general? Should it be a formal performance evaluation every month? a casual conversation. What do you recommend? What is, what's worked best from what you've seen? Yeah. Well, I think that number one, they are one-on-one meetings with each person. So you may have team meetings and stuff to go on. That's a different kind of meeting. We're talking about one-on-one meetings, let's say with each of your six uh, people who are on yeah. your team. And it's a ritualistic kind of meeting. In other words, okay. it can't be replaced by anything else and you have to do it consistently. So in other words, if there's a conflict, you need to reschedule it. Don't just say, ah, oh, do we really need to meet this week? No, nah, we don't. Well, that gets into dangerous territory really quick. But it's a very simple agenda. Here's the key, though, that the content of the agenda is your team member brings the content of the agenda to the meeting. And the things you talk about, and when you have these regular meetings, you talk about recent successes that you've had since the last time we met, what's a recent success that you had? Because when else do you really get to hear from your team members successes that they've had? This is great. Okay, good. It's actually a carved out time. We're talking about what are those successes? They should be bringing to you also two, maybe three key metrics is the two or three key metrics that they can measure. If these metrics are good, you know, all the other metrics are also being taken care of, right? 
And they should know, is the metric up? Is it down? Or is it staying the same? And mm-hmm. they should know why. They should be explaining it's down and here's why. I know why. And I'm doing this instead to fix that. And then, of course, project updates, just simple awareness. Your manager should be aware of what you're doing. And then toward the end, you get clear about identifying and removing obstacles. Identify what obstacles um, are getting in their way from higher performance. Because guess what? Everybody can be a higher performer no matter where you are. Everyone can stretch a little bit higher. And then once you identify that, help them to overcome their own obstacles. In most cases, your team members should be overcoming their own obstacles. There are a few exceptions to that. but most Okay, good, good. And then the very last thing, you don't talk about this every time because it gets a little ridiculous. And I think you'll know when I tell you is you do need to talk from time to time about career aspirations. Like, where do you see yourself in three or five years, right? What's your next step? And that is a fantastic opportunity when you know where each one of your team members are going. When you have delegated assignments, you know, hey, since I know you have aspirations for this role, why don't I delegate this assignment so I can give you some experience before you get into that role? Interesting. Wow. Okay. So let me see if I can go over this again. So I'm having my meeting with my person. And what are we calling this meeting? Is there a name for this meeting? I just call it the one-on-one meeting. One-on-one. Okay. So we're going to have a one-on-one. Number one, tell me about your recent successes. Well, I got this, I did did this, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Number two, two or three key metrics that they can measure. And are these metrics that we've already talked about in the past, usually? Yeah, they're typically are, are the same metrics. Um, some managers will tell me, we don't really have metrics. Okay, well, in this part of the meeting, this is where you start working together to identify those metrics. Right. Uh, and, but they're typically the key ones that that will measure your, your progress. Okay, good, good. I, I was going to ask you for examples, but I know every industry is different and I, and I know yeah. we don't have much more time. So number three, project updates. That's good. Number four, identifying and removing obstacles. So how would I come to this part of the meeting what would I ask my person to really find out about that? Yeah. So we typically get to uh, parts or major functions of their job and talk about, well, you know, what is it that you're doing really well? And what's one area or one function of your role that maybe you're struggling with a little bit? Maybe you're not performing as high as you could. This is hard to ask this question and get a real answer until you've established trust, right? Yeah, right. So we've got going back to the trust thing. And many, many times you'll get your answers like, well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm doing pretty good. I'm like, okay. Well, you get to decide. Many times a manager knows, hey, I think you might be struggling with producing the XYZ report. So tell me about the XYZ report on a scale from, I don't know, from one to 10, where would you rate yourself? doesn't matter what number they give you, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just say, for example, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm about a seven. Okay. Well, Scott, what would it take for you to go to an eight? I don't want you to go to a mm-hmm. nine or a 10. I just want to go incrementally. If you, what, what keeps you from saying eight? Oh, well, it's number, I can't go to eight because I don't have XYZ access or something like that. Okay, right. great. We just identified your obstacle. Now we can go address that obstacle. Oh, that's great. Wow. That's like a, this is like a party trick, Chris. I mean, this is <laughs> where you're, this is really good. It's like when you're telling me this, I'm like, gosh, that's so simple. You know, how come I didn't think of that? I mean, it's just, it, yeah. this is brilliant that everybody were so busy trying to get things done. And the idea of, of working on how you get things done is something I think definitely takes time to really reflect on. Well, a phrase that I say all the time is that management and leadership is actually simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, that's right. right. So this right. is all simple stuff, but it's honestly, it's not that easy to implement. And that's where I come in, right? That's where I can help other yeah, right. leaders to actually do that. So tell me a story of an organization you've worked with where you met with them, you trained, you consulted, you advised, you gave them these systems. And what happened? Well, That's a good question. I'm trying to think like of a really good example that just hits the mark. You know, let me go back to one of my early coaching days. 
and I'll try to make this story short, but I did executive coaching at nuclear power plants across the East Coast. I would travel all over the East Coast and, and work with executives. And this one executive I was working with was in this role for 30 years. And one of the early meetings I had with him, he said, Chris, one of the things I need to let you know is number one, I think that this plan that we've created together, because we always create a plan, right? What's the 90 day plan you're going to implement? He's like, I think the plan is great. I'm really clear about my goals and how I'm going to get there. But number two is that I think this coaching is is crap. I think it's a waste of time. I think it's a waste of money. And honestly, I want nothing to do with it. So I said, well, first off, thank you. I appreciate you letting me know. (laughs) But number two, I don't know where the words came from. But the word said, well, I've been hired to be your coach. I'm working with other executives here. Can I just share with you the same things I'm sharing with them so that when you're in meetings, you're not caught off guard. I just want you to be aware, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything because the honest truth is, Scott, I can't make anybody do anything, right? Yeah, right, right. So I'm just going to share with you. He ended up being one of the best executives I've ever worked with. He ended up implementing just about everything we talked about, but... It all came down to disarming him, you know, and acknowledging that I'm not here to force you to do something that you don't believe in, that you don't think is right to do, that doesn't fit you naturally. So I'm not going to ask you to do it. So he just, he loved it. And he ended up doing most of everything we talked about. That's great. That's great. I love it. And this is really good. I think the one thing I'm coming away with, Chris, is there's hope that I can learn more. And I can implement these ideas today with my own team because I've got a small team. And I know everybody listening, most of these people have people that work for them, whether they're associates in the firm, there are other recruiters that work in their company, other people that do accounting work. Whoever's listening to this, odds are you've got people that you have to lead and you have to manage. Uh, So if we could kind of summarize some of the things that you said in three action steps that can make it easy for people to implement those ideas, what would those three action steps be, Chris? Yeah, you know, I think that first thing, we didn't really talk about this, but I think it's very important for all managers and leaders to know is that you need to start with yourself. You need to lead yourself well first before you can really lead others effectively. And when I say lead yourself, what I'm talking about is being very effective at prioritizing the work and activities that you're involved in. Continuous development, you got to continuously develop yourself. You're never done, right? You're always getting better. And then follow through on your commitments. When you say you're going to do something, follow through on what you say you're going to do. More importantly, follow through on the commitments that you make to yourself, even when nobody's knowing. I think it's one of the most powerful things that a manager or a leader uh, can do. So that's the first one is to start with yourself, lead yourself uh, first. Number two, I think leadership is simple, but it's not easy. Like we talked about before, you simply need to first identify what are some simple tools, systems, and frameworks that you can apply that fit you authentically. Uh, You know, I talk about that all the time. Make sure you implement it consistently. And then make sure you're also addressing performance issues immediately. The longer you wait to address the performance issue, the harder it actually gets on not only you, but the person you're working with. Okay, good, um, good. So don't wait. Third, don't, don't hope it's going to get better without you doing anything. Right. It never gets better. It always yeah. gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and then the third thing I would say is just have regular one-on-one conversations with each person on your team. Because doing that, it builds trust, it increases engagement, and it increases performance overall for your team as well. This is great, Chris. I want more. Tell me about the offerings and what you do, what you have that people listening to our show can benefit from. And then we'll put your contact info on the show notes. Of course. Well, thank you for that. I do a lot of in-house programs uh, for corporations. Um, I do training, workshops, things of that sort. But I also do some public programs. And I have a public program I do just once per quarter. I actually have one Mm -hmm. coming up in December. Mm It's called the New Leader Lab Workshop. It's actually a two-day workshop for new managers 
uh, and it includes seven disciplines or you call them principles. Um, it includes a 90 day leadership plan that you walk out with. It's a small group experience. We limit it to a very small group because it's, it's a different experience when you have a small group. Yeah. And the next one, like I said, will be in December and you must qualify to attend. We're very selective on who gets to attend that uh, workshop because you know, if you have one bad apple, it can change the experience yeah. for the entire group. I bet. And we'll put the link on our show notes for that event also, Chris, and all the other contact information we'll put on there as well. Thank you so much for being here. You've been a great guest. I'd love to have you back on in the future. And great job today, Chris. Thanks for sharing so much of your wisdom with us today. Well, thank you, Scott. It's been an honor to talk with you. And I just appreciate our friendship and uh, look forward to staying connected. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.